Welcome to In Conversation, a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. Each month, your host and the panel of senior practitioners take you through the stories and developments of the month in the practice of corporate public affairs across the globe. Now, to take you through the latest developments, here is your host, Wayne Burns. This month's panel comprises Cathy Bolt, Media and External Communications Manager at West Farmers, and Peter Habib, Executive Manager of Enterprise Services Communications at the Commonwealth Bank. I started by asking Cathy about an article from McKinsey & Company from the Centre's weekly Front & Centre News Compendium. On the 50th anniversary of US economist Milton Friedman writing that the only responsibility of business is to make profits for its shareholders. In other words, the business of business is business. We've seen so much happen even just in the last few months that indicate how important corporate social responsibility is to not only to companies' uh, long-term success, but also to, also to the future of CEOs and, and boards. It was interesting, actually, I, I went back and had a look at Milton Friedman's, um, what he actually said at the time, and it's possibly not quite as clinical. If you go a bit beyond that, he did say, and also to abide by the ethical mores of the time. So it, it wasn't as if it was just a very cut... He wasn't being totally scorched earth. No, that's right. But a bit of context helps, I think, in, in everything. And um, and it has it, it just seems to become more and more and more important. And I, and I think, our, for example, our sustainability teams and our investor relations teams in here would say that there's there's been a, a particular shift in the last couple of years and and uh, in, in, because shareholders are taking a much bigger interest in it. Large shareholders are small shareholders and that's made a huge difference. And, that, and the reason, you know, it's, it's not all about altruism and doing the right thing. It's it, There seems to be growing evidence that companies who do the right things in terms of corporate social responsibility actually perform better. And it may not be in the short term, you may be able to make short term profits out of doing the wrong thing, but over time, as many institutions are finding at the moment, you will pay in the end in some form or another. And it's, I think this, this year's been particularly interesting. I, I found the time over the weekend to read Catherine Murphy's um, quarterly essay on pandemic politics and, and what's happened this year. But one of the great things I thought happened at the start of this year was this reversal and this erosion of trust that was going on in institutions. All of a sudden, I think people started to realise what the role of business was in society. It wasn't just to make money, it actually got stuff to people, it employed people. And she just made the comment that one of the most profound things that happened was that trust was building up. Yeah, Peter, you you work for a very uh, trusted sector. How, How are we placed? Where are we? Uh, in 2020 uh, expectations, I suppose, of corporate yeah. investors. I think Kathy's right. I think um, if you look at investors, uh, investing is easier. So um, just as a, as a roundabout way to answer your question. So we're looking at um, the establishment of exchange-traded funds as a, as a low-cost way for people to start investing in the share market. You're starting to see the rise of quote-unquote ethical ETFs. So, you know, you're looking at the data of, you know, millennials wanting to invest in ethical organisations. So they're looking to these vehicles. So um, shareholder relations and dealing with large investors and being able to talk through your business practices, talk through and stand by what you're doing as an organisation becomes even more important because, you know, you're either going to have um, people forcing you to change or you've just got to lead from the front. One of the things, um, the article that James Thompson wrote just recently with regards to has Big Australia found its voice again. So, you know, definitely one of the things that we're seeing is, uh, you know, as a large organisation, and this goes back to, to what was written in the 1970s, you know, there is this thing around, it's not all about profit, it's about a business behaving within the ethical customs of 
uh, you know, society. So, you know, obey the laws, but also there's a whole lot of ethical customs, which, you know, you know, we used to call it the pub test, you, you know, it's, you know, whether or not you should be doing it. So it's around, you know, has business uh, lost its way? Uh, you know, we've been through the wars a little bit, but I think, it, you know, I think it is around uh, what the pandemic did show. Uh, it was an opportunity for businesses to go back to what what is their core and to lead from the front. And I saw some really good examples. I mean, those newsletters I got from Woolworths, you know, just the, the just business leaders just putting their hearts in their sleeves, going out to customers and just obviously because I've got the Woolworths rewards program, that's why I got them, all the newsletters. But, you know, really it was around, you know, we have a role in society and our role is making sure that the supply chain gives you the food or the groceries that you need. Everyone kind of panicked, so we've done all of this. And there's just the constant updates around, you know, what are we doing as an organisation? I actually thought it was well-written. I, I thought it was um, less corporate speak and just more around solving problems. And I think that's what James meant in his article as well, which was uh, what we saw during this pandemic was organisations getting on the front foot and just saying, well, what are we going to do to help you out? You know, times are tough. You know, a lot of you can't work. What are we going to do? What we did at CBA was pretty much the same as well. You know, plain speaking, what can we do to help you out? Um, but I just thought that Woolworths one was a good example of uh, where we're going to as we talk about purpose as an organisation and, you know, really what is the core purpose? Um, Coles was the same as well. I mean, Coles did the same thing as well. But, you know, our purpose basically is to have, you know, food available for you, groceries available for you. Um, if that's not possible, what can we do to help you out? I just thought that was great. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but I didn't realise how many mailing lists I was on and how many CEOs really valued me as an individual um, until the first couple of weeks of the pandemic. I think my email box was full of messages from CEOs. It goes to, I think, good corporate public affairs advice. If, if you're talking about purpose and, and it's in a crisis, you want your heavy hitters out there and you do want authentic communications. Some of the communications, you know, we thought were not very authentic at all. You had also Rands who decided, oh, everyone else is doing this, we better be doing this as well. But it's, it's, it's when that authentic communications becomes really, really important. Just to, before we move on from corporate responsibility, um, just to get your view, a lot of work we have done, I think we've sort of concluded that because this has been a generational change in CEOs, commitment to corporate responsibility where there is a very strong commitment is quite deep and quite, it's almost generational. You know, CEOs under, you know, a lot of CEOs over 60 years of age or 50 years of age who, who, who get it. And I think it's very important, but you've got that Gen X of which I'm part of, which evidently pays for lots of therapy. But on top of that, they, they've grown up with corporate responsibility and the concept of it. What do you think about that generational shift? Do you think that's your view of whether that's at play? I think it's made a big difference. And as you say, it's not mm -hmm. as much as the people that hit before them were, were without, um, without views in that area and without responsibility. But I think, you know, watching it at, at a personal level too, I think what the difference is too, those, those people have children who are probably in their teens and um, early 20s and they're listening to them as well and going home and having to defend what they do. And I think that... That's a huge difference. And I think in a world where you have to take into account other people's views, even though you're not, you're not uh, the sole source of what's right and what's, what's not. Mm. And I think the, good, the greatest example for me around 
it's also in-house and it's all about your people is um, yeah. uh, the Silicon Valley scandals that we saw where employees stood up and I don't think some of those large tech organisations handled it well, but the employees called out what they saw was a disconnect between what the organisation said was its purpose and what the organisation said that it wanted to do. And employees going, do we really want to be in armaments? Do we really want to be in part of the defence industry? Do we really want to say that we're about diversity, but, you know, as a woman, I feel about X, why would this organisation? So I thought that was very powerful, uh, definitely in the last 18 months around you know, corporate responsibility is not just what you talk externally. You've also got to live it internally. Employees will call you out. And we've seen that. We've, you know, people will call out if they work for an organisation and they're not living up to their purpose or what they say. But that was a really powerful, I thought, recent example of how very large organisations were called out. And then my view is I think they didn't handle it well initially either. Yeah, the, um, the employee activism is a trend that's very, very strong. We found that um, especially on our last international uh, study tour a couple of years ago. And it's happening more and more in Australia. And employees are the ones who will call you out first. And when you think about it, most whistleblowers come from the ranks of employees as well. So they definitely want their organisations to walk the talk, right? We're talking about diversity and expectations. Uh, Chief Executive Women, um, a great organisation that does lots of uh, research and advocacy, uh, told us a couple of weeks ago that the number of women CEOs uh, heading companies in Australia has actually gone backwards uh, in the last couple of years, and that's bucking uh, trends in other OECD nations. And that uh, cultural diversity is also a concern. Uh, Where are we at and does it matter, especially to corporate public affairs executives? Peter, we'll, we'll kick you off. I think it does matter. Um, uh, and particularly in our industry, diversity is very important. Um, and I've always worked in workplaces where, you know, you have a very diverse team. Um, and I've always kind of felt that, you know, there's, there's been a really good, uh, really good kind of focus around, um, uh, you know, development, promotion, um, gender diversity has been very, very strong, uh, particularly in communications, corporate affairs. It does kind of like then start to peter out at the top, which is a bit disappointing. But one of the things I think is also very important is uh, cultural diversity. And I mean, just looking at CBAs as an organisation, um, about a quarter of our workforce uh, identifies as Asian heritage. Um, uh, which is awesome because, you know, obviously close proximity, um, it's kind of, it's almost reflective of, I think, the, the population in general. But then what you start to see is you actually start to see cultural diversity disappear in the executive ranks. So um, at the manager level, senior manager level, uh, and the executive level, uh, it, it goes down to, if you look at general manager, um, which is, you know, your senior executive level before you get to the, the, the top, it's only about 6%. Uh, is that a cultural diversity, uh, it skews very much to white Anglo-Saxon. Um, so I think, I think that is a really good opportunity because uh, diversity is just uh, such a strength when it comes to both uh, gender diversity, um, having the, the means to actually allow uh, positive gender diversity roles. I mean, the best thing about COVID is there's now no excuse about working from home. You know, I think I think people who wanted to see their employees were forced to actually work from home, um, and then they actually saw, oh, hey, you know, you can actually get the job done. 
uh, and the job can be done, you know, in hours that suited that individual. So personally, I think COVID was the best thing to happen to, uh, you know, being able to have flexible working. But gender diversity is not just about flexible working, but what it is, is it is an enabler. And the more that you can kind of like break that down and actually see that productivity is not hampered by that. In fact, productivity may, you know, skew to the other extreme. Um, but what it does do is it starts to put you on a pathway where, you know, you become, uh, you actually start to reap the benefits of, of that, which is, you know, you know, better thinking, better ideas, better teamwork. Um, and at the end, it's, you know, better results for the organisation. But I think, you know, for me, I think cultural diversity and gender diversity are just very important because in the executive ranks, if you look towards your leaders, um, I mean, even at CBA, you can just see it, we've just reported it in the AGM, uh, more than half of our board is uh is female which is great but our management team under matt is uh is not as strong as i think it's only about 30 percent are women but you know there's a really good opportunity there um, but again you know priscilla's who's the head of marketing and corporate affairs um you know uh, um, come from the states um i you know a, a very strong female leader black uh woman you know really proud um that's really really good and we've actually seen you know in staff Q&As, you know, just staff just really responding well to see cultural diversity as well. And I think that's the, again, you know, once you open the cupboard up and you start to be open and honest and you kind of start putting people, uh, you know, who are able to talk about their experiences, people start to identify with that. And actually, as I said, you see, you know, better thinking, better teamwork, better outcomes, better results for the organisation. It just makes sense. Yeah, Kathy, is it uh, why we've sort of, stop starts stop starts and we're going backwards and do stakeholders care do you think to i mean it, it's the right thing to do to to have more gender parity there's no reason why it shouldn't but uh is this really a, a corporate affairs issue do you think it's a it's a corporate affairs issue because it's a stakeholder issue it's a, it's a shareholder issue in that case i think because for the reasons we mentioned before there's pretty much and as peter was talking about there's so much evidence it's actually contributes to better performance. It was interesting to see that um, yeah, slowing in the gender equality and leadership. And I, my understanding of it is that originally, obviously, the chief executive and, and other organisations were concerned about this that targeting the board, you know, target board targets at 30%. And, and that was that was okay, but they realised that the, the, the stumbling block to that was the fact that the pipeline underneath and most boards are fed by, come from CEOs or very senior level line managers, people have responsible for PL, and that wasn't where um, there were enough people, women coming through to, to, to go and on to boards. And, um, you know, I asked, there are people who are more expert in this than me in, in this organisation, and I asked them about it. And I think one of the issues that is, is a problem is that the economy is, when the economy is slowing, and now we've got an additional uh, problem from what's happened this year. People tend to take this risk in leadership. Um, it, it, uh, it, it doesn't doesn't help with people changing the jobs, changing jobs, and all that sort of thing. So that that's a contributor. But um, as Peter mentioned, one of the one of the problems we've proven this year that you can work from home, you can work remotely, you don't have to travel so much, and you can be really still very effective. But that issue or that that block shouldn't be there anymore. But another one, which has added to the discussion in the last um, uh, week or so, is is still childcare, you know, I think there's a lot of acceptance that, that still a, a, a access to affordable childcare is a problem. 
um, that's that that also needs to be addressed. So there's there's all sorts of things that are leading into it. Yeah, one good thing for the corporate affairs uh, profession that is in Australia uh, three years ago with our 2016 state of corporate public affairs for the first time. Uh, more than half of heads of function were women. Um, and the pipeline was good. The, the, there are more women as head of discipline. Um, uh, traditionally, you had lots of women heading up internal comms, but there's real bench strength across all the disciplines, whether it be um, stakeholder engagement, uh, community relations, government relations, uh, external communications, corporate responsibility. There is uh, a very deep pipeline of women who, leaders in corporate public affairs and potential leaders as well coming through. And um, that is reflective of the community. And we're finding a lot more cultural diversity as well. So it's good. It's gone from, you know, clear, clear the journos from the pubs and put them as, as head of corporate comms or, or public affairs into a sophisticated management function where you've got people um, from all uh, backgrounds and walks of life. So it's, it's getting Getting a lot more reflective, and that's a more interesting environment um, to work in. Did you ever think, uh, as a, a former journalist, Kathy, there'd be a day where uh, governments uh, globally, but including in Australia, would be kicking in money to uh, ensure that independent journalism exists and survive? We recently had the federal government, um, through a dedicated fund, throw $5 million into Australian Associated Press AAP to ensure independent journalism, especially in rural areas. I mean, What's, what's happened? How did we get here? I think we've all watched it with some degree of despair over the last you know, 10 or 15 years. But yeah, as, as it's been widely commented on, the, the business model is, is extremely fragile. It's not broken for, for, for traditional sort of media, public interest, um, public interest journalism, which I, you know, for those, I guess we describe that as journalism that is about um, Things that, things that are important to the public as opposed to perhaps already which are entertaining. And um, it's, I mean, I, I, it's not as if we don't have a history of government um, contribution to that. The ABC is, I think, a billion dollar a year organisation. Not all of that goes into news and current affairs, but, um, but it's there. And, but, it's, but it's interesting that the government now feels it needs to back what is otherwise essentially been privately funded um, media organisations. And... Um, it's, I guess it's a recognition of how important it is. They see, I mean, like everybody, they do what is in their interest as well. And, and a lot of where the money seems to be being directed is very much towards local, uh, local journalism and um, state-based journalism, which is, which is what's really suffered the most, particularly local and regional journalism. And that, that helps to get their, their information out of, as much as anything as well as keeping them under scrutiny. But we're seeing a lot of philanthropy in the area uh, now as well, I think that the Judith Nielsen um, Judith Nielsen Foundation. Yep. Was, mm -hmm. that's, that was so. Um, I was so heartened to see that to notice that sort of level of money. Because to be honest, I don't think five million dollars is going to go very far at all. Um, and I think it's. I'm not sure what happens when that five million dollars runs out and how sustainable it is. But it's so important. I mean, we have many things that are talked about as issues of our time at the moment, including mental health. Yesterday, with the Ontario Corporate uh, Mental Health Alliance, but but this is so fundamental to our, our democracy, I think, in making sure that power is held to account because including companies like ours, you know, um, people, little people still don't have, or individual people, I should say, don't have much power when something goes horribly wrong for them that they don't deserve. And that's the, you know, that's the sort of thing that Adele keeps Adele Ferguson going every day and thank God for that. Um, but it has, it has to happen. We might all, as individuals, need 
many public interest journalists, journalism at some stage. And, and I, I, what worries me is that people no longer appreciate how important it is to them. Yeah, I, I agree. We, I mean, just before uh, having to partake in this, my mum literally just phoned me up to give me what was the latest news uh, coming from Adelaide, which is just shows why um, local news is important. But more so, I think to your point, um, we're seeing the uh, the economics of having newspapers in small towns or smaller communities being weighed up, and sadly, you know, news is having to shut down, which is, you know, it is very sad. But local news is very important. People people do value it. Um, so I hope we can find a model that works, and I hope that we are able to do that because I don't think um, I think from a media perspective, centralising is good, but I think from an audience perspective, everyone wants to know what's going on. But I think even more so what we're seeing is people want to know what their local, uh, you know, we're being asked to every three years or, or every four years to vote for our politicians. So we want to know what's going on. We want to know what they're doing. And so I think us as a society, we need to make sure that we, we do fund some journos to ask the tough questions that, you know, state politicians, not just the federal, but also, you know, local government as well. It's it's very important. We've got to keep it, you know, democracy works on keeping people into it, in account. And uh, yeah, I, I feel sorry for those AAP people. I, I used to love dealing with AAP. Uh, great, great, great bunch of folk. Um, Lots of good people. stuff out. Yeah. That have worked in AAP before. I think the, um, the is it the, the, the Washington Post's uh, tagline that in uh, darkness, democracy dies. And yeah. Interesting in uh, especially in Europe, but also in some states in the US state governments uh, are looking at how state tax codes can be used um, and how philanthropy can be used to create funds to fund local newspapers to keep local government to account primarily. Uh, exactly. As well. So I was just going to add like rural communities, the local radio station is very important. Talk back. That again just proves the value of why local news is very important. People just want to know what's going on. Um, it's yeah, it's very important for our democracy. Well, we're going to chase that down um, in in one of the next couple of uh, webinars that we do about uh, business models are, are poor for journalism and whether business has actually has a role in that as well. There's some uh, interesting research that will be in our um, uh, edition of Front and Centre in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you for your both. I wanted to keep to the timeline. Cathy, thank you very much for uh, at the top of the day in Perth for joining us and Peter at uh, at uh, CBA. Uh, for all of you that have joined us, thank you very much indeed. We'll uh, make this available as a uh, recording, as a podcast on our website, and we'll also be packaging it as a podcast for our Front and Centre podcast uh, series. Lovely connecting uh, with you and uh, thank you to our panellists again, and we will talk to you very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In Conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe for more at the Centre's Very Public Affairs podcast show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And for more information about best practice public affairs, visit the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs at www.accpa.com.au.